Hi guys, thank you for tuning into Beyond the Bullpen. This show is created for the analyst community, talking about the analyst culture, their research methodology, investment rationales, research tips, and financial trivia. Basically, everything that happens outside their bullpen. I'm your host Sanjot, bringing you analysts across the globe from various sectors and backgrounds to share their perspective on what drives the market and, most importantly, what drives them to beat the market. With that being said, thank you for listening. Make sure you switch on the notification bell and follow us to stay updated on the analysts that will be coming on as guests across various sectors on a weekly basis. Hey guys, welcome back to another uh, episode of Beyond the Bullpen. Uh, today I have Yash Sarda with me, and Yash, I would like you to introduce yourself to our audience here. The floor is all yours. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Yash Sarda. Uh, I'm basically the founder of Above Alpha Solutions, a uh, algo trading firm where we use our proprietary algorithms to invest our family money and generate above average returns with low drawdowns. I've been doing this for about five, six years now, and uh, it's my full-time job, and I really love doing it. Amazing, amazing. I think I read an article of yours on Money Control Pro, right? If I'm not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Could you could you share could you share some 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 snippets of of that before we begins with some Q and A, and if I could request so, you to be slightly louder, uh, that would be amazing. Yeah. So the Money Control Pro article was on the rise of algorithmic trading and how it's transforming traders across India. So basically, earlier I was a manual trader and more of a value investor, but after I did some courses in algorithmic trading. I tried a different approach, and that basically transformed my trading and returns. And because of that, uh, it gave me a sound risk management and procedure to follow, which removed emotions from the process. And the process helped me and my family generate a lot of money. You know, before I, you know, dive into the complete technicals, you know, um, I'd like to start off with a couple of basic questions. Like I read, there's a term terminology which was interesting on your on your LinkedIn bio. It said quantum mental. Could you just you know define what quantum mental is for all the beginners which are out here? So quantum mental basically means uh, a blend of fundamental and technical, because in the trading world, when you say quantitative analyst, they generally think that you are trading based on price action and algorithms. And uh, not really based on any fundamental data, but fundamental. Our main underlying thing is we use fundamental data first, and then overlay it with technical data. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, is it like how long did it take you to you know? Because first you have to be great with not great, but like have a decent grasp of fundamental. Because you were like, let's say you know you were a value investor at first, so that was all right. But now the yeah. quantitative part. So, how long did it take for you to integrate both of those aspects together? So, um, it was a relatively easy journey because if you're a value investor, by definition, you are a little quantitative in your outlook, where you basically try to use data and numbers to calculate a fair value of something, and then buy it at a discount. So, it's a very quantitative. Process where you use discounted cash flows and basically other valuation metrics, and you have very predefined fundamental ratio you look at. So because even as a value investor, you you use a screener as a basic tool, 
and then you basically have certain criteria say return on equity low debt and low price to earnings things like that where you have a very quantitative outlook where you say only below these 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 will i buy something completely okay so but from my perspective from what i thought correct me if i'm wrong for me quantitative was more towards you know using your sma simple moving average trading strategies and you know um kind of using technical analysis more so that's where the quantitative aspects are used more towards so so am i right or am i wrong the term quantitative is pretty broadly used but in definition it basically just mean means something that can be quantified by data and numbers okay so it, it's basically like there is no story there are numbers which justify the thesis so it's basically math and statistics right so that can be used for fundamentals that even a moving average is at, at the end of the quantitative number where you calculate like a 20 day 200 day moving average and compare it to something based on certain quantitative data that but when you cross over it works or something or it doesn't work or you short something when it crosses from above right 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 makes sense makes sense but you know also like moving along i i read that you know you have you you wrote in, in an interesting um if you have if i had to describe it you wrote an interesting you know phrase if i could quote it said it's a profit generating machine if you could uh, you know explain that in terms of returns and and some something about your pure alpha quant strategy that you talk about um if you could just elaborate on that yeah so basically we we have seen that over the last 10 to 20 years on average the benchmark nifty can generate a 10 to 12% return with sizable drawdowns but the strategy we tested basically over the 20 year period it generated a cagr about 42% so that was about 25 30% outperformance over an extended period of time so we thought that compared to the nifty this was a profit generating machine and basically in some years it even gave a triple digit return so for us that was a very interesting investment strategy and that basically it it underlaid a lot of very good fundamental criteria along with some basic um pre existing papers which have been published on momentum and cash flows also so combining yeah combining all of those together we came up with a sort of a formula for picking stocks makes sense makes sense I, and you also have written that you know you kind of you know trade on the global market so in india which which uh, brokerages do you use in india we have actually about three brokerages which we use one is zerotha then another one is icici direct and a third one is a family broker called ashika stock broker ashika stock broking is so this gives you all these three gives access to you to you know kind of trade wherever you want on the global markets yeah so, i feel that it's very important to have multiple brokers because at any given point of time a broker can go down so you need to have a backup and all how do you kind of balance out your funds you know if if you could answer that for us how do you balance out your funds when it comes to you know uh, selecting your broker so, as well so zerotha is the newest broker 
so we think that it has the highest counterparty risk in the beginning so we have the lowest funds in zerodha but ashika is our oldest broker we've been dealing with ashika for about more than 20 years so we have most of our funds in ashika and icici direct is also relatively uh, an old broker so we have yeah so we have some good so one thing i would like to you know go ahead and touch upon you know in terms of i also read that you know you are investing one country you wrote that you are investing in hong kong so so what exactly do you see in hong kong in terms of you know there are a lot of macroeconomic headwinds you know and geopolitical tensions in in um, in hong kong i'm not sure if you have read you know there was this civil disobedience movement you know with with uh, you know with conflicts with china and that has led for the business cycles to you know go out for a toss so what is it what's your angle over there for hong kong so the idea for hong kong is that it gives easier access to the chinese markets when we say we invest in hong kong that's more of a proxy for investing in china directly mm-hmm. but for investing in china directly there are little more restrictions and it's a little more complicated process but if you're in hong kong there are these things called h shares which basically allow you to invest in hong Uh, Chinese listed companies a little easier, and there are macroeconomic tailwinds in Hong Kong, but I certainly feel that it's it's unlikely that something major will happen with China, uh, un- unless there's and if it did, it would definitely cause global unrest. Mm-hmm. So the China risk is obviously there, but i don't look at it as a financial risk as in they won't take they won't they kick out people with their money and it won't be like something disastrous right that was that's an interesting take because you know i was i was of the opinion that you know hong kong will take some time to rebuild and uh, you know all the although it's a good time to buy because most of the shares are now at you know discounted and um, and recently there was there was an article which i read that you know with this discounted prices there are a lot of no more fis coming in to kind of rebuild you know hong kong overall so that's an interesting take from your side so moving along you know what is the first automated code that you wrote if you have any and you know your first code did you make any money out of it so the first code i actually tested was uh, moving up <coughs> a simple moving average crossover strategy long and short so but the main reason why i couldn't test it was because a lot of the names which were coming up to short they weren't being available in futures and options so in india the shorting market is pretty underdeveloped so to properly balance that strategy i couldn't deploy it properly so we didn't actually run it you didn't run the code no we didn't run the strategy didn't run the strategy but overall like in your first few strategies like when did it first say when did it first happen that maybe you or your team member when it did first happen that have you ever gotten an instance where all right this code worked or what was that feeling like or you know what was that if you could give us some experience of that so one of the first things we started running was in 2019 in june 
which was a version of our pure alpha strategy with uh, only about 20% of the variables we currently use. So with that, the back-tested result was initially about 20% CAGR over the last 15 years. So we started running that and we ran it for about six months. And in those six months itself, we generated about a 30% return. So we were like, wow, okay, this is something really good. And so we wanted to keep working on that. And this was uh, before the 2020 crash happened. So the good part was we had part of the money invested in the 2020 crash as well. So we could see the strategy performance on the downside as well. So mm -hmm. that gave our outlook of both stressed conditions and normal conditions. And it's always good to have stressed conditions back tested as well. So you talk about you know stress conditions and 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 one one point I was just actually having a conversation with another you know quantitative finance you know student and he was talking about how he has to recalibrate the entire model. It was just recently I was having this conversation, yeah. and you know since you mentioned about stress testing, so what actually happens after back testing? Because after that you have to kind of you know um, go through the entire stress testing process again, but. How do you kind of, you know, um, if you get what I meant, like how do you kind of perform new stresses on it? Because, you know, COVID wasn't one off. So, so how did you um, kind of take that into account? So the thing you have to understand is each crash is different. So there are a lot of strategies which would have held up in some crashes but wouldn't have held up in other crashes. So it's a very rough, you can get a rough idea, but irrespective of what the stress result is, you, you always have to have a risk management system in place. So more than stress testing, we focus on the risk management where irrespective of what the environment is, if our risk limits are being pushed and reached the max, the system is shut down. Right. Like we, we have certain drawdown limits. We have certain stop losses in place and we have certain criteria which we basically used to hedge so once we have all of that in place we aren't really worried about what can potentially happen because in that situation we are in a place where irrespective of what happens we are protected so mm -hmm. if you can control the future you don't really need to predict it so it's, you're not actually controlling the future are you because you're kind of just providing yourselves limitations or kind of pathways or decisions if scenario, basically like a scenario analysis, like let's say if this happens, you know, you're going to do that. So, so you kind yeah. of, it's just maybe in my opinion, the proper term would be like a enhanced version of a risk management strategy, uh, not exactly controlling because it's kind of, you know, uh, irrational, the markets can be irrational at times. Yeah. Right. So that, that probably would be, you know, uh, from my end and, and, you know, so, 
you know we had such such an interesting conversation till now you know and and you know you 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 improvise with quantum quantitative as well as you know your fundamentals and and now you're starting to get much more fundamentally driven with you know with uh, with the entire um, strategies that you're now applying does that make you the you know tailor mason now you know i hope you know the you know the character tailor mason yeah definitely so uh, i tailor mason i would agree is very quantitative and but like i personally feel that he is a little more advanced in what he does where he looks at it completely from a numbers and mathematical perspective and i don't think he overlays a lot of fundamentals mm. so at the end of the day i still consider myself more of a fundamental person than a trading person or a technical person technical analysis as they put it so for me the fundamentals matter more but i wouldn't compromise on the technical so i i won't use things like advanced uh machine learning algorithms to execute certain trades or to have uh, basically the machine make the reinforcement learning and decisions we we use those things in our back testing but not in live deployed bot like taylor mason did towards mm. the end where mm. he was trying to get rocket scientists and deploy fully automated bots like we are not deploying any bots at the moment it's more but do you intend to going ahead maybe not now but in the future do you intend to kind of go towards an advanced quantitative approach are you trying to go towards a quantitative approach that's the that's the question see the thing is we can use advanced quantitative methods in our research but using advanced quantitative methods in execution can be very tricky when their machine learning can get so advanced where you don't know why the machine is making a certain decision so when that happens it can be very difficult to trust your system when it's constantly evolving right 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 i get i get your perspective and you know recently i had someone who offered was working for you know um you know as a profile where you know he he offered back office support for hedge funds and and you know we agreed on that hedge funds you know are not able to beat the index over time so what do you have to say to that or in terms of like is it just do you think it's an elitist uh, business model and now it's like over diluted over time and you know due to the over commercialization of it so the essential thing which we have to understand is that hedge funds aren't meant or made for individual retail investors or uh even to an extent like their very their purpose is very different than that of mutual funds or index funds like index fund is index funds are very good for normal retail investors because they're low cost and they give you by definition the index return like the average return which everyone else is get, getting but the thing which people need to understand is that there are certain people who need a fixed like they would rather take a 6% guaranteed every year rather than a 10% variable hmm 
So once, and there are people like that who are pension funds who need their regular cash flow to pay out. So for those purposes, hedge funds are more consistent than indexes, I would say. Okay. Like uh, it's very rare for hedge funds to have blow up years like the index had in 2008 of 50%. Like maybe out of a hundred hedge funds, only two or three will have like negative 50% drawdowns. Like typically in hedge funds, there's for people who are working in hedge funds, they have this four or four eight rule where every 4% drawdown, they cut the trader's book in half. So oh. if, if you have a 4% drawdown, your book is cut in half. If you have an 8% drawdown, your book is shut. That's, 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 that's great. That's insane. Yeah. That's new information for me and new information for all of us, I guess. But, you know, uh, you know, with that being said, like how important is like education in this? Because, you know, I believe that not everything can be taught, you know, towards from courses and stuff. And I believe you started very early on. So, so how important do you think like, or a parting message would you like to give with you know, new entrants or already people who are in the markets? With your experience, what would you like to share? Like, how important is education and how they can get started off with this? So, I personally feel that investing and trading is half as complex as it's taught. Like, people try to complicate it and teach it in a very advanced way, but it's not that complex. The complexity, the tough part of investing and trading is actually managing yourself. And because I can, like, there's, I have the saying for a lot of people who try to copy my trades, you can buy what I buy, but you can't hold what I hold. Hmm, that's amazing. Preach, yeah. Yeah. So that's like, so anyone teaching you something or anyone trying to learn something, you have to understand you, it, everything works in theory, but whether you have the, when you act, when your money is on the line, whether you can execute, that's, that's what you have to learn. And that can only come from experience. Hmm. So your, like, your tip would unless, be start early, start by yourself, you know, and take, take those hits. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, if you're working at a trading firm and you're being able to do that with someone else's money, you get experience. But until your own money is on the line, you'll never look at it the same way. Hmm. Right, right. And, and, and please, and completely, I agree. Because now that you, know, you are working for your own family office, so you must be you know, taking care extremely of you know, your AUM. Yeah. I'm right. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I, you know, I really loved, you know, this conversation that I had there are a lot of new things that I've gotten. Um, what's the name of your firm? If I could give you a shout out, maybe someone would like to invest in it. Uh, it's above alpha solutions. And we basically currently are not really taking money from investors, but we're basically designing custom algorithms for them where they can basically have, because, uh, we aren't really um, taking outside money at the moment because we're a fam private family office, but we have like a consulting arm where we design algorithms for people. 
Nice, nice. Are you guys hiring? So maybe we can give a shout out for that as well. <laughs> yes, yes. We're, we're always hiring because I personally believe that I, I always want to be on the lookout for new talent and new ideas because the investing world is constantly changing and there are a lot of new fields and asset classes which are emerging. Like, for example, we don't really have much exposure to cryptocurrencies. Right, and right. cryptocurrency you on that. is a very algo-traded market. Mm. So, any, so, so maybe a bonus question, like right now, let's do it. Yeah. So for cryptocurrencies and NFTs, what's your take on that? I think that it's, it's really magnificent that in, in just a 10-year period, this industry has gone from zero to about $2 trillion liquid. And that's not like on paper. This is $2 trillion of market value, which is daily traded. So the fact that they've done that is means that there's something serious and to be reckoned with. And basically, digital money is like, it's, it's, it's been a theme with things like PayPal, Venmo, Paytm. And now with digital cryptocurrencies it's just taken a more mainstream and more adoptive way it's you still believe it's in it's in, it's still it's it's like a monster which is still evolving like now it's still it's an early phase but over in the 10 15 years course of time it will be do you see this monster evolving into something much bigger than just becoming a traded currency as a, like like a crypto exchange or a cryptocurrency not exchange the thing is um I personally feel that the industry, its growth is directly linked to the central banks, to be honest. Hmm. So if the central banks continue their loose monetary policy, which I do believe they will, the value of almost all assets broadly will skyrocket. So cryptocurrencies is no exception and the thing is it's getting adopted more gradually and more fast but the thing is um, it its real success will come if normal fiat currency declines hmm. because what can happen is if a central bank digital currency comes out and central banks maintain a tight accommodative policy that could be a real risk to cryptocurrencies because then all the digital money would just be things like digital USD. So it, their growth potential would be somewhat limited. Completely. I guess, I guess we'll just have to, you know, wait till we find out because over time, um, I understand what you're saying, but you know, the thing is I am still waiting on uh, trying to understand, especially in India, how things will be integrated because now people are still, like trying to book profit, get that short-term money and all that. So, you know, with Bitcoin hype. So I, from my maybe point of view, it's still it's in nascent stages, although Ethereum has completely evolved into like NFTs and stuff. Yeah. Right? So with that being said, you know, thank you so much, Yash, for having me. This was, you know, this was fun. This was interesting. And and um, I got to learn quite a new, quite a few new stuff, you know. And, and guys, uh, once again, a shout out, whoever wants to apply, uh, can you can directly DM Yash for the same and and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you Yash once again. Um, I'll see you guys in thank the next one. Yes, yes. Thank you Harsh. Bye bye. Bye.